Hello, this is Science for Dummies. We're your hosts, Callie Shohut, Anna Ayers, and Sophia Reyes. Due to current circumstances, we cannot all be joined together. However, we are interviewing a special guest all the way from New Haven, Connecticut. So stay tuned for that. So our topic for this week's episode is immunoepidemiology. Just looking at its name, most people can get a broad idea of what its main focus may be. It seems to be comprised of two main branches, epidemiology and immunology. Just for those of you who don't know, immunology is a science that deals with the immune system and the cell-mediated and humoral aspects of immunity and immune responses, according to Merriam-Webster. This topic also incorporates epidemiology, and according to the Center of Disease Control and Prevention, by definition, epidemiology is the study of the distribution and determinants of health-related states and events, not just diseases, in specified populations such as neighborhoods, schools, cities, states, countries, and globally. In this podcast, we'll be giving our listeners a look into this relatively new field and how it could have a huge effect on our future in health and medicine. Today, we are meeting with longtime Yale professor, Dr. Nancy Ruddle, known well for her discovery and analysis of lymphotoxin, a protein produced by T cells that helps strengthen the immune system and destroy tumor cells. However, more recently, Ruddle has shifted her focus from her lymphotoxin analysis to study in the field of immunoepidemiology, in which she has written a textbook with fellow Yale professors and has taught Yale graduate students about the topic. So Dr. Ruddle, we'd love to ask you a few questions today and get to know you. Does that sound good? It sounds great. Thank you so much. So to start off our questions, we'd love to hear a little more about you and a little more about your history in immunoepidemiology, if you'd be willing to share. So I was an undergraduate at Mount Holyoke College, uh, all, an all-women's school in South Hadley, Massachusetts, and did a senior research topic with a professor. And we studied the thymus. And the thymus is a very, very important aspect of the immune system. And at that time, it was just being determined what the function of the thymus was. So that, that kind of turned me on to the immune system. Then I went to Yale University to work for a year because I didn't know whether I was going to go to graduate school or medical school. And I took a couple of courses and realized that I just loved research and decided to get a PhD. Along the way, I also met um, my husband, Frank Ruddle, who was a scientist as well. I did my PhD in the microbiology department, but studying immunology, and then did a postdoctoral fellowship studying the immune response to murine leukemia virus, and then uh, started my own lab where I continued to work on immunology. My focus was particularly on the role of factors that are made by the immune system, and one of them is lymphotoxin. And I was interested in their role in all kinds of inflammation, particularly autoimmune diseases. That really sounds amazing. And your experience is very <laughs> impressive. So would you just like to ask a couple more questions? And this question is, how would you describe immunoepidemiology? So immunoepidemiology, as, as you pointed out in the beginning, is really the synthesis of two fields, immunology and epidemiology. 
So immunology is a study of the defense of our bodies against invading microorganisms and pathogens, such as viruses and bacteria. It's also important in defense against cancer. And when an individual or a person studies immunology, they're usually studying it within one individual or person. Uh, we actually used mice uh, uh, as model systems. Epidemiology is a study of uh, diseases. We were particularly concentrating on diseases in a population. So what we did in our book uh, and in the course that uh, gave rise to the book was try to bring together these two fields, that is, studying the immune system in populations. That is so interesting how immunoepidemiology has such strong ties with autoimmunity. I'm also really curious if this branch might relate to the pandemic currently going on. Has it had any impact on COVID-19 research or possibly even the vaccine? Absolutely. So when we're studying a disease such as COVID, <clears throat> we're interested in how that disease is affecting a population. Uh, so the population of 16-year-olds, the population of the elderly. And of course, we learned very interesting things that COVID-19, the disease, really affected the elderly very much. So that's the epidemiology. The immunology of that is what's happening in those people that gives rise that gives rise to the symptoms of that disease. That is the uh, terrible inflammation. And that's due to cytokines, what I study. And it turns out that different populations have different amounts of cytokines. So children, very young children, seem to have high amounts of cytokines. And that would sound um, maybe difficult, but in fact, that's part of their defense. But sometimes those cytokines overrule the uh, the body and the children become very sick. And that's this inflammatory uh, situation in children in, in COVID. So that's part of immunoepidemiology. That is, you look at a whole group of children, you see that some of them are getting very sick, and then you try to figure out what was the reason. You look at a whole bunch of elderly people and you try to figure out What's the difference between those people and, say, the 50-year-olds who aren't getting particularly sick? So that's immunoepidemiology. Then if you look in vaccines, of course, vaccines are designed to activate the immune system. And so you look at a population of people, say, between the ages of 50 and 70, and you say, how is that group of people responding to the vaccine? So you look at say thousands of them, and you see that uh, most of them are making a high amount of antibody. And then you say, well, this vaccine looks like it's working pretty well. And also, they seem to be resistant to the disease. Wow, it was so cool to go into more depth about how certain diseases are studied. I hadn't realized how important small substances such as cytokines could be, or that they could differ so much between the ages. So I heard you mention autoimmunity earlier, and I was wondering if that might relate to immunoepidemiology at all. Okay, so autoimmunity is a, a situation in which 
our body turns against itself. So instead of our body responding to an invading bacteria or virus, it's responding and rejecting our own cells and organs. So examples of autoimmune diseases are multiple sclerosis, type 1 diabetes, and rheumatoid arthritis, in which our immune system is recognizing cells in the brain, for example, in multiple scler sclerosis as foreign. So in terms of immunoepidemiology, we try to determine what are the causes of those autoimmune diseases by looking at large populations of people who are developing these diseases, which actually are quite rare. And so we find that there are certain determinants that appear to contribute to these diseases. They include genes. They also include uh, gender. So, for example, certain autoimmune diseases, such as multiple sclerosis, are more common in women than in men. So if you look at a, at a population of women and a population of men, you see that more of the women have uh, multiple sclerosis. And the same is true for another autoimmune disease, lupus. So you're looking at whole populations of people and then trying to figure out what's the incidence of a particular disease. And then you can try to figure out what's the reason that there's a high incidence of that disease in that population. Thank you so much. That was very interesting. And similar to um, whole populations and things of that sort, how does immunoepidemiology relate to cancer research and discovery? So let's talk about uh, some of the wonderful advances in cancer. And these include immunotherapy. So there are now ways, uh, including antibodies, to treat cancer to uh, both prevent it and, and to treat cancer once it's occurred. And these all, all of these immunotherapies take advantage of what we've learned in the immune system in individual people, that is the immunology, or in populations, that's the immunoepidemiology. So, so there's a particular uh, immunotherapy that's actually quite effective in a very small number of people. So the question now is, and this is still a question, why is it that certain people will respond particularly well to um, what are called blockers of the immune system and others don't respond particularly well? So these are areas of current research. So um, you've done a lot of work on your discovery and analysis of the lymphotoxin, which I know we were talking a bit about earlier. Does this have any relation to what you do now in immunoepidemiology? Um, not as much, to tell you the truth. So in all my studies of lymphotoxin, I've been studying uh, individuals and what happens if, if you make too much lymphotoxin or too little lymphotoxin. And we were studying mouse models in which we could cause the mice to make too much lymphotoxin or too little lymphotoxin in, in a particular organ or in, in the whole mouse itself. And it turned out that um, if you remove, if you genetically remove lymphotoxin from a mouse, that mouse has a very impaired immune system. So it has no lymph nodes or spleen and its thymus is actually pretty messed up. 
So that's not really studying immunoepidemiology. But other people have studied, for example, autoimmune diseases in populations and found that there are genes that are associated with lymphotoxin that uh, appear to be correlated with some autoimmune diseases. So that is a connection between my studies of lymphotoxin and other people's studies of uh, autoimmune diseases. And all of this is so great, and this branch is truly very intriguing. So we were just curious how this new branch that you study benefits future research and the generations ahead. The whole point of our writing the book of immunoepidemiology was as a textbook, actually, for students who were getting a master's in public health. Because though we had taught a course in immunology for those students for many, many years, we hadn't incorporated too much epidemiology into that course. And there were no textbooks that actually addressed uh, immunology in, in the course of populations. So uh, my colleagues and I decided it was time to write a textbook to incorporate what we had been teaching in the course for so many years. So in terms of future benefit, I would hope that it would be used um, as a basis for other courses in, in other schools of public health for, uh, for students who are getting a master's in public health so that they can begin to apply concepts of immunology to epidemiology. That's amazing. This has been so amazing to talk to you, and I'm really excited to see how immunoepidemiology impacts the future. I was wondering if there was anything that I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about. Well, I think um, part of the point of me of our writing the immunoepidemiology textbook was that we felt that this was so important that practitioners of public health really understand immunology. And I would say, I think it's become quite apparent to e even you, uh, young ladies who are in high school realize that immunology is also very important. And I would hope that uh, you would keep your ears open for facts in immunology. This sums up our first episode. Thank you so much, Dr. Ruddle, for joining us today. Hopefully you guys learned something interesting today, and we hope this was as informational to all of you listening as it was for us. Additionally, we can't wait to see how this field changes in the future. And I thought it was so cool how this field is so relevant to today and especially to COVID-19 research and the vaccine. Right. I thought that right. was fascinating. I also think that it's just so amazing and inspiring that you bring awareness just to help people become more educated and informed about such an important subject that isn't often acknowledged by many. For me, it was just how much the textbook and this branch have really benefited health and the sciences, especially in education. It's awesome to see how one discovery can connect to so many others. It just takes one new thing. Well, that's what's fun about science, or what has been fun for me in my career, is that um, a lot of the things that, that I was studying have been expanded upon by other people. And so it's not just one observation that just kind of sits out there, but uh, it's something that can influence the field. And that's, uh, that's very satisfying.
Again, this was Callie, Anna, and Sophia. Tune in next week for another interview with a science expert. See you next time on Science for Dummies.